Let's open our Bibles this morning to Ephesians. such a great sermon on Wednesday. That's fabulous, I want to tell you, not to be overly humble. But unfortunately, I think Dan and I would have been the only two who understood it. Uh, as I read it over, I thought, man, this is deep and this is good, but, but I hardly understand what I've said here. Uh, so uh, I thought, well, let's go another direction. So if you can't understand this one, uh, you get on me about it, okay? But it's straightforward. Okay, it is straightforward and plain today. I don't want to. I don't want you to miss anything. I don't want you to misunderstand anything, um, because Paul has something hard for us today, and and he he gets it to us right between the eyes. He doesn't mince any words. He is as I as I st- stole from a friend of mine. He doesn't put any velvet on the brick today. Okay, he just wallops us right upside the head with plain truth. So, let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to your word today, help us understand this. That we might not only see this this brick that Paul has for us, but also the grace that follows it. For he gives us the plain information, but he also gives us the plain gospel. So we pray that our eyes would be opened, that your Holy Spirit would descend upon us and provide for us all the understanding that we need. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. So just keep your hand in Ephesians chapter 2. That's where we'll, we'll, we'll read this in just a moment. Now, I, I looked through some websites this week uh, on advice on how to say hard things. And because, you know, nobody really likes to say hard things. Nobody likes to come to you with all the bad news and, and just crush your spirit. You know, if you do, there's, you need work. But uh, no, people don't usually like to do that. And, and I, I looked up hard news or, or bad news, and it, it all kind of fell into the category of, well, if you had to tell somebody that, that they had lost their job or news of somebody's death or... Uh, you did something to them that's going to have a, a terrible effect on their life and you have to own up to it and, and tell them about it, um, or, or something simply that is going to hurt them and you know it's not going to be happy for them. Well, how do you go about saying these things in a way that, that will soften the blow? Well, there's no lack of PhDs and advice columnists who willingly gave me the five steps on how to give bad news to somebody, Okay. Now, they suggested things like, well, pay attention to your own mindset as you go about it. Uh, uh, Rehearse it until it sounds friendly to you. Use I statements. Make certain the person knows you care for them. Try to connect with their human needs. Okay? Um, Some places even try to make bad news sound like it's good news. And I found this. uh, HubSpot is a software company. And when you got fired at HubSpot, it was called graduation. Okay? They made it sound good. So everyone would get a cheery email from the boss, and it would say, Team, just letting you know that so-and-so has graduated, and we're all very excited about how they're going to use their superpowers in their new position. So the person who's writing this says, One day, this happened to a woman who was 35, had been with the company for four years, and was told without explanation by her 28-year-old manager that she had two weeks to get out. 
And on her last day, the manager organized a farewell party for her. He said it was surreal. Surreal. So here's somebody who's losing their job, and we're just having a big old party for it. So that's the way you gave bad news at that company. Well, Paul, here in Ephesians, apparently did not take his, uh, was his Southern Manners class uh, because he has some bad news for us. And as I said, there's no velvet on this bad news brick. He just wallops us with it. So let me read from chapter 2. I'm just going to read three verses from chapter 2. 1, 2, and 3. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Now, that's God's inspired word for us today. That is not just Paul thinking, well, this is, this is the way that I see people. No, this was the Lord communicating through Paul exactly what he wanted us to understand. So Paul is telling us here in the starkest terms that we have a problem. And the problem is bad news. Now, after the bad news, he gives us good news. Okay, I want you to understand, Paul does not just go around saying, you people, you're just all so sinful, the Lord wants nothing to do with you. He says that, but he says in your natural state he wants nothing to do with you. That is not until in his graciousness and in his loving kindness he extends to you salvation through the work of Christ. There is this God who hates sin so much that it can't be in his presence, but he loves you so much to make a way in which that sin can be cleansed from you. This is the God that Paul is writing about here. So the good news is that Christ has given his life for us. The bad news is that he had to. Because if he didn't, there was no way that we could be reconciled to our Heavenly Father because of this sin that separates us. See, that's the state of our hearts, the the way that they naturally are. Being apart from Christ, apart from his grace, apart from his mercy in a fallen world. That's just the way that we are. Now, all around us today, we see in this this world, people continue to say that, oh, we're not, we're not really that bad. I mean, if, if, if you just listen to the songs, okay, go to, now, Disney songs are great for this. You have to trust your heart, okay? You have to trust your feelings. Just release, in a sense, the goodness within you, and it'll work out fine. See, the, the problem from Scripture is that what is in your heart is not fine, What is in your heart is not goodness waiting to be released. It's sinfulness. And it's not until Christ comes that there is any goodness at all within us. Paul reminds us that none of the answers to the bad news are found here. The answers to the bad news are found there. And they come upon us through Christ. But Paul doesn't sugarcoat this in any fashion at all. He says the natural state of all human beings, is what he calls death. Now that's hard. Because you think, well, dead people don't breathe, do they? Dead people don't move. Dead people don't drive the car to church on Sunday morning, do they? No. But Paul says it is spiritual death. And apart from the mercy of God, apart from his grace that has provided this in Jesus Christ, received by faith in us, we are spiritually dead. There's just no alternative to that. 
Let me try to put it just as simply as I can. If you don't have Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then you don't understand life because you're dead. Your eyes are not open to the things of the truth. Not until Christ comes and the Holy Spirit opens your eyes do you understand, do you have any capacity to understand what real life is. I know you live and you breathe and you work and you have a family and all these things, but Christ has come to give us what? Life abundantly. That's not life in our human nature. That is life changed by grace. Life changed by the love of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. See, Paul says we're spiritually dead, and that means we're alienated from God. Because of this sin, there is this this chasm between God and us. And the only way to bridge that chasm is if God takes the action and comes and gives to us grace. If you ever saw the old... uh, uh, is Campus Crusade or Navigator's illustration. Um, you've got God on that mountaintop, and there's a valley in between, and you've got man over here, and man tries as he may. He jumps into the chasm and can never get all the way over to God, and not till God sends Christ, and the cross goes across there. Not till he sends Christ can man get to God. And man tries in a variety of ways to get to God. And, and we see that throughout every culture. But Paul makes it plain in Romans chapter 8. He says, for the mindset on the flesh is death. Because it is dead. But the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. Because it's been made alive through the work of Christ. Because the mindset on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not subject itself to the law of God. For it is not even able to do so. So those who are in the flesh cannot please God. That's Again, that's hard news. That is hard to say. Well, well I'm a good person, man. Okay, I'm not, I'm not an axe murderer out there. You're telling me that I can't please God? In your natural state, apart from the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, you cannot please God. Not until he changes your life because your heart is set on the things of the flesh. See, Jesus came to give life. If someone comes to you with the gift of life, that must mean you are what? You don't have life. Because somebody has to come and give it to you. That means you're dead. So Christ comes with the gift of eternal life. And it's not just, not as if it could be just, not just eternal life. It is real life. It is life here in this world like we never knew it before. Because we were set on the flesh. Christ comes, now we're set on the things of Christ. If we already had life, there would have been no reason for Christ to come. If I'm already alive, if this is is as good as it gets, why should I have any concern about Christ who says he brings me life? I already have it. He says, no, you don't. He says, you're dead in the things of your flesh. You might be walking, you might be breathing, you might be making choices all day long. But outside of Christ, you're dead. Scripture doesn't leave us any wiggle room on this. Not, none at all. There's no other options that we find in Scripture. You're dead unless you're united to Christ in faith. Now, Paul's not kidding when he says this. Let's look at uh, verse 1. Chapter 2, verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Now, he uses two different words here, and they're important words for us to understand. Trespasses indicates a transgression against the law of God. Or, or God sets a boundary and you go across it. Okay, that's a transgression. That you go beyond the boundary that God has set. And then he says sin. And sin, very simply, is to miss the mark. And it's not just, oh, 
man, I was so close this time. I'll, I'll get it next time. That's not missing the mark as this is laid out for us. Missing the mark means not even coming close to it. Missing the mark means um, the target that you're aiming for is uh, out in Madison and it's buried in a bank vault and you've got an archery, uh, you've got a bow and arrow and you're going to walk out the front door and try to get it from here. There's no possible way you can hit the mark. None at all. None at all. And not just have we missed it by that much because we have not even achieved what we were created to do. That's what that word means. We were created, as as the confirmation class would know, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Well, outside of Christ, we have no interest in that. Outside of Christ, we have no ability to do that. It's a horrible thing, this sin that affects us, this sin that says that we're dead in it. and, and, And how do we ever get out of it? How do we ever change? I mean, really, are we, are we that dead? Let's, let's think about Lazarus for a second. We all know the story of Lazarus. Here he is. He was sick, and they call for Jesus, and he says, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get there. And so Lazarus dies, and Lazarus is a close friend of Jesus. And when they get there, um, there's weeping and wailing. If you'd only you'd been here, he, he wouldn't have died. And he says, let's go out to the tomb. And then he says, well, you know, roll that stone away. And, and I love the King James here. He says, but Lord, it's been four days. He stinketh. Okay. Well, yeah, it's been four days in the Middle East. It's hot. He probably did. And, and when they rolled the stone away, Lazarus doesn't just jump up and start walking out, does he? No, Jesus commands him. Jesus gives him life and says, Lazarus, Come forth. That's when he comes. If he could have done it on his own, do you think he would have waited four days to get out of the tomb? No. Jesus commands him to come out. Now, this kind of understanding of our spiritual state, of our death, spiritual death, is really not popular in this world. It wasn't popular when Paul said it. It's really not popular in our world today. The world says, again, release that goodness. You can change the world. You just have to release from within you. But it takes no account that we are actually dead. And any thought that we could release this goodness within our own self is is futile. Because there is none within us until Christ comes and puts it there. Paul's making it clear that with regard to our salvation, there's no help within us. It all comes from outside of us. Christ saves us. Christ gives us life. It's hard to hear sometimes, but it's important that we understand it. Paul's out of step with the world. He's out of step with the Jewish world that he is preaching the gospel to, but yet he is in step with the things of the Heavenly Father who gives them this message. And sometimes when we we talk about sin, talk about our sinful nature and, and the depths of this sin. It's, it's not very popular, and, and even sometimes within the church, we tend to want to minimize it because it just doesn't sell very well. I mean, it didn't sell very well in Paul's day. It doesn't sell very well here. Um, well, we don't want to focus on the negatives. I mean, gee, Rand, I want to walk out of church feeling good. I don't want to f- walk out feeling like I'm dead. But there's God's grace, which comes afterwards. And so often you can't fully understand Christ until you've at least dealt to some degree with your own sin. J.C. Ryle said, Christ is never valued until sin is clearly seen. 
until sin is clearly seen. And you don't have to know it in total. I mean, you don't have to understand um, the depths of uh, uh, the great depths of your own sin to find the need for Christ. But you have to know that you do have a need for Christ. John Newton, who wrote the, the hymn Amazing Grace, talks about this, this battle with sin and, and, and grace in his life. He says, In my spiritual experience, the dawning awareness of the wretched sinfulness of my heart did not come before salvation, but it came afterwards. As the light of God's word has shown more fully into the depths of my heart, I have grown to understand that it was only my outward circumstances of growing up in a Christian home that kept me from all manner of sin. He said, from being as bad as I could have, it was the restraining, the restraint of growing up with godly parents. And, and, and you know the story of John Newton, he went off to be you know, the, the slaver and everything, and it, in, in the midst of a storm, it, 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 uh, he, he called out to our Heavenly Father. If I had grown up in a pagan home with no moral training, I would have committed horrible sins because my heart by nature is corrupt. See, in our natural state, we like the world. We like being dominated by sin. It's, it's, it's pleasurable for us. That's because sin touches all portions of our souls and of our bodies. That's called total depravity. It's not that we're as bad as we could be, but from head to toe... Everything I have is touched by sin. And we think, well, Rand, I, I know some really nice people who aren't, who aren't believers, Rand. And yeah, they're, they're out there. And there are probably plenty of them. They're probably nicer than I am, frankly. But that doesn't mean they're alive. They're still spiritually dead. Because every part of them is morally corrupt. And we're corrupt in our minds, we're corrupt in our wills, we're corrupt in our emotions, our affections. We don't think straight about spiritual things. We don't think straight about what is right and what is wrong because we want to define them of ourselves, by ourselves. And Paul is not saying that because of sin, you're in God's doghouse. He's not saying that. He's saying because of sin, you're in the morgue. If you've ever been to a morgue, the only live people are the ones that go in there to get the dead people. Okay? That's where we are, spiritually speaking. We're in the morgue. And there's nothing you can do about this, but Christ does it all. He does it all. Well, okay, Ram. Let me try to understand this. If you're having trouble understanding this one, just think of the one that I threw threw out. Let me make it simple again. You say that I'm totally depraved. And then I'm touched with all aspects of my, my nature by sin. But the call of Christ is to believe upon him today. It is even a commandment. Believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. How can I possibly believe if I'm totally sinful? Isn't that uh, contrary? I mean, uh, really, how can that be? How can that possibly be? As somebody who remembers the day he thought he was a believer and then remembers the day when the Lord came and opened my eyes to faith in Jesus Christ. I mean, I thought I was a good guy. thought I was doing what I should have been. I've been raised in the church, a Presbyterian since, since the water hit the top of my head. Probably in my mother's womb, I was Presbyterian. But there was something different that came upon me because it had to come from outside. 
when the Holy Spirit opened my eyes and I, and in a sense I heard for the first time the real gospel message that Jesus Christ has given his life for us and he calls me by name. He says, you know, I'm going to call you by name and I'm going to put you in my hand and I'm, you're going to, I'm going to extend my saving grace to you and you will forever be protected. You, you will forever be secure in the hand of Christ. <clears throat> And, and we talked in Sunday school. How many of us have been walloped by the Lord? Well, that was a wallop, I want to tell you. Some of us have just grown up in the things of the church and the things of Christ all our life. And we've, we've known it, we've been taught it, and it's clear to us and we're believers. Other of us had to be... The Lord took the velvet off the brick to get our attention. And he says, I've got my grace for you and I'm going to call you by name. And yes, you cannot save yourself but I'm going to save you. See, Paul makes it clear. We're spiritually dead. Look at verse 4 in that great word. But, but God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead, made us alive with Christ. My friends, this is the message of salvation. We're sinful and we need saving, and it is God who makes us alive in Christ. There is no other way to receive the life that he gives us except in Jesus Christ. So let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, this is this is hard to take. I mean, really, am I that bad? I don't think I'm that bad. I don't think I'm that sinful, but yet your word makes it clear that we're dead until the grace of Christ comes along and makes us alive. We are dead. But it was that great love with which you loved us, the obedience of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to leave your right hand and to come and take on the form of a man and to give his life in this world, to shed his blood to atone for our sin. And he did this not when we were ready for it, not when we got ourselves cleaned up, but while we were still in the midst and darkness of that sin, that's when Christ demonstrated his love for us. Heavenly Father, you call us to this new life in Christ. You do not say, come and consider it. You do not say, have a look at it. You say, come and believe today, for today is the day of salvation. Lord, we are about to come to your table today. And we want to come as believers. We want to come as those who know Jesus Christ, who have been given life, who understand life, and now can rejoice in that. Move in our hearts today, Lord. If you call us today, make it clear that we are to believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And it is in his name that we pray. Amen.